Hello, I'm Andrew Richards, and welcome to our panel today. Where we're going to be discussing successes and failures and gaps in care. We're, we're really glad you can be here with us. We have some great panelists today that we're going to be talking with to really dive into this topic. And so I'll just dive right in. Uh, our first panelist is Mike Vaselli. Mike is the parent owner of Catalyst, a city block healthcare innovation campus located in downtown Denver, Colorado. While Mike remains a Catalyst partner owner, he is laser focused on his role as Olive's evangelist to further his passionate pursuit of empowering innovators worldwide to fundamentally reimagine the healthcare industry. Olive is healthcare's leading automation company, creating the internet of healthcare for our nation. Mike is also the host of the national ranked healthcare and innovation podcast, Passionate Pioneers, which is a member of the Health Podcast Network. Our next panelist is Sajid Ahmed. He is the CEO of Wise Healthcare, an innovation, artificial intelligence, and workflow design company. Wise Healthcare delivers artificial intelligence strategy and workflow engineering to healthcare organizations looking to improve healthcare delivery. Wise is launching an AI-based mobile healthcare tool that will help accurately diagnose patient symptoms and provide convenient access to care. And our next panelist is Vanessa McLaughlin, who is the CEO of Welcome Home Health. She is a pioneer in telehealth policy and solutions and an innovative leader creating population value and scale. So welcome to all three of you. We're really excited to get started. And I'm just going to throw out our first question. Um, and I'll, I'll start with Mike and we'll run through the group here. In one word or phrase, describe this last year. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much uh, for, for having me today. What a wonderful and esteemed uh, group of friends, first and foremost, and uh, incredible leaders uh, on the national stage moving this very important industry forward. If I had to uh, sum up this past year, um, honestly, opportunity. I think there's a great level of opportunity for many of us to move this industry forward. It, it, while we've seen COVID-19 lay bare, uh, so many things that are broken within our system, so much tragedy, so, you know, so much heartache. There also is a ton of phoenixes rising from those ashes. And I believe there's great opportunity ahead for us. We just now have to move forward together. Excellent. Sajid? Well, you know, uh, Mike kind of uh, nailed it on the head. Uh, I think the phrase that I would use very similar to Mike's is uh, challenging. It was a challenging year for um, all of us, you know, with the pandemic. But for those of us in healthcare, those of us working towards change and innovation, uh, the word that Mike mentioned uh, really sticks out, opportunity. And, and for us, uh, in the world we're in, and telehealth to care, um, and many of us uh, in this industry, especially the telehealth industry, uh, opportunity was uh, just exploded. Um, I think the challenge moving forward is, how do we how do we take what everyone learned uh, and 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 had to do uh, as a result of the pandemic? You know, being being at home, being remote, providing care remotely for those providers that had to manage uh, their own businesses, the solo and small practices, all the way up to the hospitals and how they managed and still are managing how they provide care. So I, I think there's a really great opportunity. But there's also a bit of a, a tide pulling back to the old ways that we need to we need to address and jump on and, and as part of our discussion today. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you guys. Thank you. Excellent. Vanessa. Yeah, my word would be um, eye opening. 
So having been in telehealth for the last 25 years, um, it's been fascinating to see how COVID has really changed the complexion of um, telehealth in this country and how people, um, including providers, including health systems, including um, individual um, patients have really, really engaged and adapted to the uses of video conferencing to support their healthcare needs. It's been fascinating, it's been amazing, and I'm looking forward to cementing the wins. That's great. And, and the reason I jumped right to that question was I, I wanted to kind of set the table for what this last year has done to, to our entire industry and to the gaps in care that we're looking for, because I want each of you to tell us a bit more about the way that uh, you can print, present disruption through the lens of your company. So I want to go back around and, and give each of you a few minutes to really dive into what your company does and how you can help disrupt and, and address these challenges of gaps in care. So I'll toss it back to Mike and uh, you have the floor. Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. You know, from our perspective, and from our founder's vision for Olive, uh, she is on a mission to create the Internet of Healthcare for our country. Simply put, we have too many disparate systems, too many siloed, uh, you know, uh, you know, opportunities for data, for connectivity. We need to start connecting everything within healthcare to move this industry forward that touches every single American. And to put that a little bit in context of how big of an issue this is in regards to healthcare not having the Internet, there are 16 million human workers in this industry, and 4 million of these human workers are treated as human routers. 8.6 billion hours are wasted every single year because of treating these 4 million workers as human routers. This has, of course, then created a trillion dollars of waste, but hidden potential within this industry. So we believe here at Olive, as the leading automation company creating the Internet of Healthcare, that healthcare deserves true innovation that connects all its disconnected systems and provides unparalleled intelligence for today's unprecedented demands. Outstanding. That's great to hear from Olive. And it's exciting to see the success Olive has seen and just its rapid growth and where it's headed right now. Um, Sajid, what about Wise Healthcare and how you're seeing uh, disruption through the, through the lens of your organization? Well, I, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we were, we were just at the right place at the right time. Even before the pandemic, uh, what we were bringing to the market and had brought to the market was telehealth services, what we like to call virtual care as a service. And that's, that's our way of addressing um, a, a singular gap in care, uh, which is access to specialty care and access to care in general. And that's where our AI comes in. Our AI helps augment uh, our primary care providers to facilitate that care access to our virtual specialists. So WISE is actually made up of two companies, you know, Afia Global, which is our technology company and access the MSO for our partner company, HubMD, a group of medical specialists uh, uh, that provide direct, both indirect and direct care, indirect being the asynchronous, convenient text messaging back and forth uh, with patients and providers, as well as providing that ultimate access to care uh, remotely. And what we knew beforehand and having worked with the safety net of, uh, pa of patients and their providers who serve in the safety net is that there's great gap in care. So I think to answer your question, 
you know, one of the things that we've seen happen, uh, not just in the last year and a half as a result of the pandemic, but over the last, uh, I'd say, five to 10 years has been this general acceptance of telehealth, virtual care, as we call it, um, uh, slowly growing. The pandemic made it a reality. Um, but to make that reality uh, a foundational way of providing care moving forward, um, my my thought, initial thought, and I'd love to hear from Mike and Vanessa as we as we get into the conversation, is what are those policies, uh, regula uh, regulations, reimbursements that we need to change to make this simple thing that we all have in our hands, I say simple, but this device that nearly everyone has, uh, not just here in the U.S., but around the world, that we use for everything from banking to uh, buying stuff to ordering food, why can't we conveniently, you know, access healthcare through this device? And I think the pandemic proved it. And in a and and it is estimated by Gartner and others that the telehealth industry by itself is going to be worth four hundred and fifty billion dollars by twenty twenty seven. In five years' time, it's going to grow to half a trillion dollars, and and I think it's going to be even bigger. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to uh, fundamentally change how healthcare is accessed. And as Mike mentioned, and, and what Vanessa will also talk about, I think uh, in her context, but as Mike mentioned, there's a lot of waste, a lot of human routers. I really like that, Mike, uh, that need to be, uh, that need to be retasked, re-eliminate, allow more open time and hours for care to be facilitated. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. That's great, thanks for sharing that. And, and Vanessa, I'd love to hear your perspective as well. Yeah, Sage, thank you for saying that because I totally agree with you that we really need to look at how to better support patients using small devices, using remote technologies. I've spent the last uh, 10 years at Welcome Home Health really looking at transitioning care for complex patients, really through the lens of patient engagement. And I think that's one of the things that we forget about when we talk about healthcare delivery in this country is we talk, we forget about their lens and how it feels to them to go through a process or how it feels to them to go through an episode, an episode of care and then have to go through the next episode of care and then the next episode of care. It's disruptive, it doesn't work for them. And um, statistically, we also know that 64% of patients do not fully under understand their discharge orders and that 42% of discharge orders that come out are inaccurate or incomplete. So it makes it really difficult for a patient who we're sort of dropping off and saying, here, take care of it yourself, for them to fully take care of themselves. Um, the other thing that we know is, and Welcome Home Health focuses on this, is um, that nearly 100% of medication reconciliations that are done in the hospital are inaccurate. Now, this isn't necessarily the fault of the hospital system. It's really the fault of patients um, not necessarily walking in the door prepared to fully um, talk about all the medications that they're taking. But it's still a real problem, and it ultimately results in a necessary utilization, hospitalizations, and medication errors that are costing our country $44 billion a year. 
So our intervention is that we use health advocates to guide and coach patients through their entire health journey. We believe that episodes of care don't really support a patient. We believe that if you've got somebody there hand-holding you through the entire process, that you'll actually um, follow through and you will actually have on-time recoveries or your chronic conditions that are being managed will actually stay within um, the trend lines that they should be staying in. We believe that this relationship building model closes gaps in care transitions between the patient and caregiver and their clinical teams and community resources. Our trending results um, show that increased in adherence to care plans um, will reduce utilization, preventable hospitalizations, and medication errors. Thank you. And, you know, hearing from all of you around just, you know, what this last year has meant uh, to you and then, you know, what your organizations are all doing to just make that meaningful impact. Uh, I kind of want to throw this question out to the group and just, just see where it takes us, but to anyone and just jump on in, what is the most important gap in care that you've seen that you feel needs to be addressed immediately? And I'll tack on why. Well, I'll jump in and, and, uh, and I'd like to really entertain my colleagues here uh, to, to, uh, to press me on this one. I think we're all, uh, first and foremost, uh, I think there's a, new, there's a number of gaps uh, at all levels, both at the front end of access to care, both in the middle in the delivery of care, whether it's through a clinic or ambulatory center, outpatient center, or even in an inpatient center. And then there's, of course, uh, the back end, all the, the, the billing and all the claims management and adjudication that happens and everything else that wraps around it. And, and, and what I mean by everything else, uh, gaps in care is actually uh, impacted by things such as credentialing and regulations between state lines. I mean, credentialing is a, is a huge challenge we have as we um, you know, distribute our virtual care as a service, specialty care service that we do across state lines in other states. Um, and it's become a real challenge during the pandemic, there were a lot of waivers, but now that the waivers are, are expiring and, and it's almost going back to, quote, business as usual um, here in the state of California, and I think even at the federal level there, there are proposals put changes to, to laws to kind of address this. But I will just say that, the and as I mentioned before, the thing that I'm, I'm laser focused on, that I've been kind of been fortunate to, to recognize and be a part of the last 15 years is this access to specialty care, especially in a managed care environment. So I, uh, the stat I would use is uh, roughly 65% um, based on the CDC, uh, people that access specialty care, 65% of them have to go through their primary care provider uh, through a referral process. And that referral process, as Mike mentioned, um, he's right, there's a lot of human routers. And in the referral process, there's a lot of human routers. In fact, in some in some areas, it's 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 an entire industry or business where, um, you know, a patient, uh, a family member, us, we we have to go to a, a primary care provider. Kaiser is a great example. It's an integrated delivery network, so it has some efficiency, but it still requires people to go to their primary care provider, then get referred to a specialist. And even though they're they're uh, innovating and advancing access to telehealth. 
uh, they're still going through an old business model of talk to your primary care first and then get to a specialist. And I think uh, where the majority of Americans are in this managed care environment, you know, HMO environment, getting access to timely specialty care is a huge challenge. And I'll, and I'll explain with one great example. Um, back when I was at LA Care Health Plan as the executive director of health IT, one of the things I launched was eConsult. And I launched it throughout all of LA County. I, I didn't do, personally, I had a team of amazing team of 50 workflow engineers go to 400 uh, primary care uh, FQHC, you know, clinics, uh, outpatient clinics to implement this. And, and when, the, when the County of Los Angeles Department of Health Services embraced this, they mentioned one stat as to why this was so important to them. They said, Sajid, we have nine, we have 27,000 approved referrals for specialty care, over 27,000 approved referrals that are nine months out for appointment. So if you think about a population in Los Angeles, uh, about 2 million that are, that are managed by LA County on an annual basis, 5 million patients in their system altogether, um, that they have patients that are waiting for an approved referral that are nine months out, uh, that's just uh, obnoxious. And of course, they went all in with eConsult. They were really, they embraced it. They replaced referrals completely. They're, they don't even use the word referral in their care setting. And, and I think that's where uh, one aspect of gaps in care can be addressed is we need to take this antiquated, facts-based in many cases approach to providing timely access to specialty care. And that's the one area I'm focused on, but, but we, we touch all these other areas. And, and, and I think what Vanessa, what you do, Vanessa, what you do, Mike, with, through Olive, I think those really need to come together because even though we're focused in this one space, we keep running into barriers in other gaps in care, both in efficiency side, front end, back end, and we can't do it alone. So I think doing it together is one of the, uh, the things that I'd like to have my colleagues jump in on. But that's, that's my kind of focus and my team's focus is addressing access to specialty care. Yeah. And, and Vanessa or Mike, any, any thoughts or Please. Uh, ideas around that? Please dive in. You know, let me jump in and I'm going to make mine a little simpler. Um, I think it's connecting the dots. I think the hardest thing for patients right now is to connect the dots between what they were asked to do and following through in a really, really complex um, healthcare system that makes no sense to most of us. And um, we, we expect them to easily connect the dots, um, have on-time recoveries, and we blame them if they can't do it. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And again, we live in a digital world, but we also still live in a facts-based world. And we also live in a world where patients are called by um, care managers, by um, clinical teams to really, or by nurses to get the phone call that says, did you do what you were supposed to do? Are you following your orders? And patients often go, well, I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't get a hold of the clinic when I need to get a clinical visit. I can't get a hold of the doctor when I have a question. I can't get a hold of the pharmacist um, easily when I'm not sure which drug I'm supposed to take. Connecting the dots, helping our patients just thrive, I think is one of the biggest tasks we need to complete. And I think it's gonna take those of us in, um, in digital health to actually connect our dots as well so that when we are engaging with patients, 
we're not engaging with them in a vertical and saying, okay, as soon as I've taken care of you in my space, I'm done, bye, hope you do okay. It's really us connecting the dots to make it a seamless continuum um, resource of care for them. I think that's the piece that we really need to be working on. You know, I, I think you had, yeah, and I, I think you had a really great point there about this system is so complex that those of us that work in it still struggle wrapping our heads around it. And for a patient that's just stepping in or there for treatment of care, they're going to face huge challenges. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on uh, where we're at? Yeah, I want to build on what Vanessa mentioned and connecting the dots to empower our healthcare workers to do exactly what Vanessa just mentioned. And let me kind of put some context around that. We were fortunate to recently publish the Internet of Healthcare report, which can be found at internetofhealthcare.com. And we did that in conjunction with the Wakefield Research and really looked at the state of AI and automation within the healthcare industry by surveying patients, clinicians, administrative staff, and healthcare executives about the burdens that they face and how AI-led technologies can impact their work. And when we start thinking about the biggest industry in this country, healthcare, and what I love, what our CEO now says, his, his rallying cry for this industry, we should be the leaders for innovation for every other industry as opposed to being the laggards. Now is the time. We have the capabilities. We have the abilities. And we also have executives, decision makers, clinicians standing at the ready to adopt these technologies. It's incumbent on us to empower them with cutting edge and useful technology. Let me put this in perspective in regards to what the report's findings kind of shined a light on. 92% of clinicians think administrative work is a major contributor to employee burnout. Administrative staff suspect an average of 21% of patient records having at least one error. 50% of administrative staff have seen an increase in the amount of manual data entry in the past 12 months and 64% of executives saying hiring is not enough to solve these problems and that there will never be enough staff to handle the volume of data in their organization. But there is optimism. And this is why, again, I'm so excited with our, the vision from our CEO that healthcare innovators and technology should lead every other industry. And from the report, it mentioned 99% of executives say AI can empower employees to focus on more impactful work for patients and members. Let's start thinking about empowering our healthcare workers to get back to that very sacred moment of spending that crucial time with patients. From my perspective, it's incumbent on us to put those technologies and those innovations in their hands and even start thinking about how do we put technology in the background to get back to that very sacred um, you know, environment of clinician and patient and member. And we start doing that, by golly, these gaps of care might start taking care of themselves. Yeah, Mike, that, that's a really good point, yeah. Vanessa, I have another please. point as well. Mike, that's really interesting that you say that because another statistic I have is that physicians are spending at least a third to almost a half of their time doing, doing administrative work versus engaging with patients for what you call that very important clinical moment. We got to get out of that. So I, I wanted to highlight, I think, uh, Mike, what you mentioned really speaks to, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Vanessa, what you do, which is uh, if, if, if Mike, if the approach that you are evangelizing as part of Olive is to provide that automation, right, uh, on the back end of healthcare, create efficiencies, and again, that human router term just really stuck in my head, um, 
are you saying that, you know, if we can uh, uh, get rid of that chunk of wasted hours on on the administrative stuff uh, that can be managed or automated, would it would this support what Vanessa's doing where Vanessa's, uh, you know, you're and correct me if I'm wrong, Vanessa, your your organization and company are made up of people helping connect the dots for patients and consumers of healthcare, right? So, uh, you know, a question to both of you, uh, maybe from my perspective, because uh, w we need that. I need that, like I said, uh, to address even our gaps in care. We, we provide that service, but we're struggling with our, our clients who are supposed to reach out to these patients to help connect the dots. Yeah. Let me ask you guys, in, in our world, from my selfish perspective, uh, on the referral to uh, telehealth uh, uh, roadmap that we're putting uh, our clients on, where do you guys see that impacting that specific uh, gap in care based on what you mentioned, Mike, and what you provide, Vanessa? So I'm just, e either one of you could could say it because you got my attention. Vanessa? You know, actually, I was going to let you go first. Well, I'll start from, from our perspective because actually we're very fortunate here at Olive to be partnered with Vanessa. And there's a very uh, intentional reason why we, uh, you know, partner with very forward-thinking, innovative leaders like Welcome Home Health and other startups, or even like Amend Health that Andrew, our moderator, is helping lead in, in growing these startups. Again, we at all of here look at the opportunity for a true platform. Healthcare does not have a true platform. What do we have? We have a lot of point solutions. Point solutions are very important. But imagine one day an environment, what we like to say in our language here, when one olive learns, all olives learn. Let me put that in real world context and what that means today. Think about what Elon Musk is doing with Tesla. Every time a car goes on the road, every other car on the face of the planet in the learning. Tesla family yeah. is learning, is getting better because we just took that Tesla out, right? Imagine yeah. that applied to healthcare. Imagine the opportunity of this network effect where all these olives across this platform, across this enterprise, all over our nation are learning all at once and getting better all at once. But then magically, we also, this is the true power, we bring in the innovators like Vanessa, startups like Welcome Home Health, we partner with them so they can build their technologies and their capabilities on top of this platform for this industry to really, uh, truly take advantage of what Vanessa has built at scale right? We want to be a help to teams like Vanessa to kill the pilot. We've done all the security audits and reviews. We've gotten in over 900 hospitals and growing rapidly. We're a $4 billion enterprise and one of the fastest growing companies in healthcare. We've done all that tough sledding. There's no reason why all of these startups have to keep doing that over and over and over again. That's why we're so excited to be able to partner with innovative leaders and minds just like Vanessa and Welcome Home Health. That's why I'm trying to partner with Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. So Michael and I were able, so I'm in Denver this week at Catalyst Working, and uh, Michael and I were able to have a conversation this morning about a loop that we're building with, um, with Olive around discharges. And of course, Welcome Home Health pays attention to discharges because we want 100% accuracy in those discharge orders. And then um, we get the handoff um, when discharge happens 
with a video conference where the patient understands they're coming to Welcome Home Health, and then um, they get introduced to us, and then we take over, and we're sanctioned by the healthcare organization to say, we trust these folks. They will help you. They will do whatever you need, and they've got a handoff back to us, so if they have any questions on your behalf, they will reach back to us to get whatever you need answered and come back to you to get you taken care of. As we were talking about this discharge process today, um, I was telling Mike that when we were working with his um, engineer, we actually discovered something um, in the discharge process that is a loop that causes problems. And that is when most organizations are going through their discharge process, um, they'll do it They'll do it at the beginning when a patient's coming in um, to the facility. They'll do it while the patient's in the facility, and then they'll they'll do it at the end. What happens, however, is that when other providers get into that process, um, there's not necessarily a loop that goes back to the discharge order that says and add this piece into the discharge order because yeah. that's going to be important for the patient. Um, yeah. If something changes with the patient while they're in the hospital and they actually have a different disposition, um, perhaps to home health or to um, perhaps to home health or perhaps to a facility instead of just going home, and that isn't noted in the process, that patient could automatically be sent home and not sent to the facility that they actually should be sent to. Yeah, let so, me let me just. Oh no! Go ahead, Vanessa. Finish your thought because I'm so excited. Finish your thought. Does it, does it does it make sense that if you go back and double through those loops and just double check your work digitally, then when it comes out on the end, you actually have a completed process that takes into account all of the individual pieces that a patient needs when he or she is discharging. And let me take it one step further because I absolutely agree and I'm very familiar with that process um, because uh, uh, as an aside, I was the, the employee number two, chief information and innovation officer at the brand new Martin Luther King Hospital in South LA. And I had to, and, and, and it was a very unique opportunity. We got to design everything from the ground up, but there were still these old processes that the staff from other facilities that we hired, you know, we went from two employees, employee one being my boss, the CEO, uh, to the C-suite, me being number two, to you know almost 2,000 people. But when you hire, even though you build the field, like in the field of dreams, the, all, the players came from different sports, it yeah. felt like, and they went back to a traditional old uh, discharge process. And one of the things I always thought, and 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 I had, I had finished my my goals and tenure there, and in fact, the, uh, the CEO is on my board and I'm still on the advisory of the hospital, was the discharge process. And that is uh, another gap in care where there isn't a, a, a process and a tool to support that handoff to those, you know, the SNF or to home health or to even at the, when the patient gets home to pick up their drugs, what's their appointment, you know, what's, you know, and most patients don't even, uh, even see their report because uh, because of this push towards patient portals and getting access, and but no one really uses the patient pearls because it isn't convenient or easy. So I'm 100% with you, and I just want to add, I think one of the things in just hearing this right now, and for anybody listening and watching this, um, I would say to you that, uh, Vanessa, we need to talk right after because uh, there's one of the clients we're working with where 
where we don't do this um, as a company, we don't do that connecting the dot with the patient for that handoff from our virtual specialty care to an inpatient care. I think we've talked a little bit about it before, but I'd definitely like to follow up uh, with you on that one. So I, I think, it, I think again, this goes to, we all need to do it together. And, yep. and Mike, your yep. Catalyst organization uh, brings people together. So we need to come together. I, I think that's awesome. Sorry, Andrew, I don't mean to steal the thunder from no, you, but I'm, it's, I'm excited. This is, I'm talking with my friends. This is great. This is, uh, you're making my life real easy. Uh, so but actually, you can't go go with, I need to talk to Mike for a second. So, so <laughs> going back to our conversation this morning, um, connecting those dots is um, Olive, Olive puts whispers on um, computers as people are working to, in our particular case, do discharge. And so we're able to now put whispers into five or six different places in the process while somebody's in inpatient to, to ask that loop question. Did you check? Um, are, you sure, are you sure where the patient's going when they need to leave? Um, did you connect them back to their provider? Do they need to be a provider? What does their insurance pay for? All of those loops now are showing up at the right moment for that um, care worker to actually check the box or open up that um, whisper and say, well, I need more information um, to do that. And then to follow through that loop again, to ultimately have an outcome with 100% accuracy in that discharge order. And that's what Olive has been putting together. It's amazing. So listening to this, um... I mean, I've got some questions, but this one just kind of emerged from the discussion in that, Vanessa, you mentioned that as you were working with Olive to build a loop, you uncovered something new. And Mike also was talking about how Olive has done the legwork to get into a lot of systems and trying to just be done with these pilots. And, and I think this co contributes to gaps in care is that so many people have a great idea to innovating, but to get from nothing through all of their hoops and hurdles to even have an opportunity to try their solution. And so many companies, what, what do you think solutions like Olive or other more of a platform kind of strategy, what's it like to have those barriers removed? Is that one of the major problems and gap, uh, contributors to gaps in care and that we spend so much time stuck in the muck that we haven't had enough time to actually work on the problem? So there were a lot of questions packed into that. <laughs> yes, I apologize. So uh, I could target it better. Do we spend more time stuck on the, the basics of getting a project, uh, something launched, than we do actually uncovering new innovative solutions because of all the barriers of our industry? And is that a contributor to gaps in care? Yeah, so I think, I think that when we have to go try and do pilots, what ends up happening is we're developing a one-off and we're working with an old system and um, thinking in that system on how they do pilots, on how they innovate, on how they engage with um, third-party resources. It's mm -hmm. a challenge. It's a lot of work. It's a challenge. And again, all you're building is a one-off. Are you getting some data? Of course you are. Are you getting some um, verification? Of course you are. But when you go work with a platform and a continuity of care model, um, what you really got then is some proven technology, some proven 
um, applications, some proven methodologies for in, in fact inserting what you're doing into the next step. So absolutely, we can't do it. I'm telling you as a, as a startup, we can't do it without um, bigger companies helping us out. And I am so grateful that they're starting to show up and we're all starting to innovate in this space. Well, and, and thank you for that, Vanessa and Andrew, to build on that. I'll say something provocative, but it's true and I'll call it out. I've been fortunate to you know, advise and mentor startups for many years. I'm one myself as well, a uh, startup founder. We have not set up the healthcare industry to be successful in adopting innovation. It's our fault, actually. It, it's, not, it's not the health system's fault. It's our fault. We haven't put the platforms and the capabilities in place to afford them the opportunity to hit the easy button, right? It's been, it's, this is on us. And, and I know that that, you know, a lot of the times in the innovation community, we're going to moan and groan. Oh, it's so hard. All these pilots and they, they take forever to say, yes, this is on us as the innovators. And we at all of are very, very passionate about this. Matter of fact, if you go and check out our CEO's blog, blog post at uh, sllane.com, he talks about being a true platform. You also invite in your competitors. And he is absolutely, uh, you know, fully behind it. We are even asking our competitors, come build on top of all of we Bring it. Because in order to truly give opportunity to our healthcare systems and to this industry at large, it is incumbent on us to have some unifying platform out there that we can all work from to shorten these cycles, to compress, you know, security audits and reviews, to be able to allow an innovator like like Vanessa to truly take flight, take flight at scale and do it as fast as possible. We start getting in that mindset in healthcare. That's when we start leading other industries and other industries start looking at healthcare. That's how it's supposed to be done on a technological aspect. So I got a question for Mike, uh, but I do want to, uh, uh, which I'll say after my comment, I, Mike, I think you're, you're, you're right on the mark uh, that uh, on the part that, we need to own some of that responsibility. That's how I approach it when I work with clients. And, uh, and that's in part because I spent uh, a, a, a more than a decade and a half on the other side of the fence, meaning I, I worked at a, at a payer. And my goal, I was on the purchasing side, you could say. I worked at, uh, and I had the luxury of being one of the first uh, innovators at LA Care Health Plan to push out tools and technologies like telehealth and and others within the community. Um, then I had a chance to work at a startup hospital. And, and by the way, there hasn't been a quote startup hospital in over four decades. We were, they had to rewrite the licensure book and approaches because we, we were a brand new company, uh, let a, not just a brand new hospital facility. We were a brand new company. And, and then having done that and being on the purchasing side to can, to kind of, buy all the things to set the tone, to create something, save the art. Um, I, I took all those um, lessons learned and said, hey, it sh we shouldn't do pilots. You know, pilots, uh, pilots shouldn't, be the, the, shouldn't be the safety net of, or the crutch that we use. Um, I, I absolutely agree. But Mike, I, I don't want to put all the burden on all of us that, that agree that we should make it easy, have an easy button. I think uh, I, would, I would disagree a little bit by saying, there are some in healthcare that don't feel empowered or don't feel uh, comfortable going outside of that entrenched healthcare uh, approach of, oh, uh, 
I've got to check with the CFO. I got to check whether this is HIPAA compliant or if it's, or if it's, uh, you know, uh, if compliance can sign off. Like when you hear the words, I got to check with the CFO. I got to check with compliance. Is this HIPAA compatible? You know, there's a delay tactic or they're not making a decision. And I think for us, all of us, we need to share uh, the right answers to those questions or if it's uh, legal, you know, malpractice or legal or whatever. We get that all the time. And, and I take Mike's approach actually and say, no, here's the easy button. Here's the answers we have. The, the industry's addressed it. I think what's really transformed over the last four to five years, and especially since the pandemic, is that for the first time in, in a long time, there has been a general acceptance of tools and technologies. People are embracing it. I mean, we've had this since Steve Jobs launched uh, you know, the iPhone in 2007. We've had this for 14 years. So I think finally, people in healthcare are realizing we've got to go their way. Not everyone's there. Um, but to Mike's uh, uh, Mike's point about you know uh, that we all need to uh, be uh, be on a platform. I have a question for you, Mike. Um, I think it's a great idea. I think Olive and and creating a, a platform for other organizations to jump in. But how do you contend with everyone else that wants to be a platform? You know, I, I, that's the other I think challenge we have as innovators is we all drink the same Kool Aid. We're also trying to make our own separate Kool-Aid to sell other companies. So you got IBM, you got Optum, you got you know uh, others that are jumping in, saying, "Hey, we'd like to innovate in the space." So uh, my question to Mike and 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 uh, in general, quickly is, you know, what is that platform? What will it look like, or will we will we uh, uh, you know uh, disrupt the momentum by competing with each other uh, for the platform? Great question. And I think uh, yet to be determined, I do know one thing. Uh, this is the largest industry in our country. That means there's a very there's big plenty pie. Of there's a it's very a big, big pie. pie in front of all of us, right? Um, and, but you know what? We As we always uh, stay committed to here at all of it, again, truly, even competitors, come one, come all. We have got to do this together. And yeah. we're, we're going to set our egos aside. We have no problems with doing that. But we are going to work our tail ends off. We are going to, uh, you know, every day wake up with a sense of urgency at all of this has this is mission critical to the health of our nation on many different levels like this isn't just building a company this is an opportunity to set this country on a new course that's how important it is to us here at olive and so you know we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna fret and worry and, and let competitors keep us up at night we're gonna stay up at night working around the clock to deliver the best experience possible to unleash the human potential of all of those amazing healthcare workers that show up every single day trying to bring better health and care to our country. That's what we're going to stay mission, mission driven towards. You know, and, and we are unbelievably almost at time. I uh, just, it's always fun talking with you guys and I enjoy it, but I would like to throw one last question out briefly. Everyone has about a minute or, or less to dive into this, but it's been a year. I think that's <laughs> understatement of a lifetime right there. Uh, we've seen regulatory changes. We've seen technology innovation. We've seen rapid adoption of new things. All of that, I believe, weighs into these gaps in care that we're talking about today. What do you see happening in the next one to two years as we emerge from where we're at today and the radical changes that have happened in our industry? What do you see happening in the next one to two years? Uh, we'll just go around the room and, and Mike, I'll pass it to you first and we'll go from there. I think we're going to start seeing the extinction of orthodoxy to Saja's point earlier. There is a lot of people that are thinking, oh, this is how it's always been done. 
that's that, that, that no longer holds any water. And there's proof points, right? We saw at the beginning of the pandemic, what used to take six to nine to 12 months to go through, you know, looking at potentially having a meeting to potentially have an option to potentially adopt telehealth. See, I keep saying all of that intentionally. We did that, some of that in six days, three days, five. We were doing that in a business week because we had to. So from my perspective, I think we're going to see orthodoxy die finally. This is how it's always been done. We'll no longer exist. We can't. We, as a nation, we just cannot continue to kiss the ring of orthodoxy. Sajid? Oh, uh, you know, I don't think I could have said it any 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 better than Mike, <laughs> but I'll just add uh, I'll just add the one word uh, to to Mike's point. I believe in the next year or two there will be a revolution. You know, the death of orthodoxy. I, I like how you framed it, Mike. I think there'll be a revolution at, at all ends, as I mentioned at the beginning, at the front end of accessing healthcare, a revolution in how healthcare is delivered and the delivery of healthcare in the middle. Uh, and a revolution on the back end, on the business side, on the all the aspects that that manage healthcare. And I think uh, the one revolution that is happening is what Vanessa is working on with uh, Welcome Home Health, which is connecting those dots. And I think that Vanessa, I leave it to you. I think that's going to drive the industry change after this taste during the pandemic. So, yeah, Vanessa, please. Uh, you guys always use the greatest words, and I wish I could have been first. Um, keeping it simple again, uh, I, I really think what's going to happen is we're going to cement the winds. We are going to learn um, from this pandemic and we are going to um, increase access for patients. We're going to use telehealth more frequently to do that. We are going to use texting more frequently. We're going to use um, digitized information sharing more frequently. And then I firmly believe in my heart and soul that we really are going to connect the dots um, across our services and across the digital applications that we are bringing to the market and really connect those so there's ultimately a continuum of care and a continuum resource for patients. Thank you, Vanessa. And thank you, Sajid and Mike. This has been fantastic. Uh, I appreciate the time and uh, thanks for the opportunity to be the moderator. But you make my life easy. I just let the three of you riff and I get to smile and nod and have a great time. So thanks everyone for joining us for this panel today. Uh, and uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.